welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. Each episode will have a different theme, and we'll talk about things that help to bring that theme to real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the heart or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. We don't really get lost anymore. Remember when we would just wander around in the airport and try to meet up with our person? Or we would spend a ridiculous amount of time planning on what time and where to find somebody at the fair or the flea market. And we would have a plan B and a plan C if the other person didn't make it or wasn't there at that certain time. I was lost one time in the Newark airport for four hours until I found my college boyfriend. I was going to visit him in upstate New York. And this was before I I owned a cell phone. And I was afraid and exhausted and hopeless and hungry by the time I found him. And that kind of lost doesn't really happen to us much anymore. We are so much more certain of things now, or at least those kinds of things. We don't get lost in the woods really either. We go on prescribed hikes that have a beginning and a middle and an end. And our children tend to go to parks and have play dates instead of getting lost in the forest or the fields or the the wild land. And nobody really sends their kids off to those stray ditches in the backs of houses like they used to when I was growing up. We are living in a time that feels very kept and a time that feels very sewn up for the most part. And I think that we might be paying a price for that certainty and for that manicured path. I have this memory of when I was a little girl I think I was about five or six, and it's one of my my earliest concrete memories. Partly, I think I remember it because it has this sliver of shame attached to it. We used to live on Fieldbrook Court, this little cul-de-sac in Montgomery, Alabama. And this is the same place that held the rain story. If you listen to the earlier episode where I told that memory of bravery and facing the pouring rain with my bicycle. This house that we lived in was brick, a kind of yellowish gold. And it was a tiny house on a corner lot. And the lot, I remember, was kind of pie-shaped or pizza-shaped. And it expanded into this really big backyard. And that yard was actually bigger than the house itself. Well, I was... Um, I was a really quiet kid, pretty deep and serious, even when I was very little and I was introverted right out of the gate. Very, very early one summer morning, I woke up and decided to go for a walk by myself. It was barely sunrise and I had on a long blue nightgown. I still remember what it felt like. It was that kind of slippery fabric that they had in the 
70s and 80s that little girls' nightgowns used to be made out of. And everyone in my house was asleep. I didn't go very far, and I remember being barefoot and a little bit cold. But the thing that I remember the most is that the whole world seemed like it was so still and so quiet. And it was possibly the most alone I had ever been, being only five or six. And I thought that I was completely unsupervised, and I liked it. Not because I wanted to do something naughty or irreverent even, but because even that young, I craved being in a space that was unwitnessed and outside and fresh air and just with my thoughts where the world was so, so still. Well, on my walk, I had to pee. And I was about a block or two from home, and I knew that I probably wouldn't make it. I still remember this so clearly. I remember where I was standing on the sidewalk. And because I was so sure that no one in the world was up or awake, uh, I felt safe, and I squatted down and I peed. And after that, I went home and I crawled back into bed. And in a way, I, I had an entirely new sense of wonder and of power and of peace. And I remember that feeling that morning after all of these years. But something else happened later in that day that kind of drained the sweetness out of it. A neighbor lady, and I don't remember her name, but I remember which house she lived in on the, on the street. She called my mom. And she told her that she'd seen me out of the window walking really early in the morning and had had seen me go to the bathroom and 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 just wanted to let them know in case they didn't know. Well, of course, I felt instant shame when my mom confronted me about it. I was really shy and I never wanted to do anything that would worry people or anything that would get me into trouble. And ultimately, the ladies reporting robbed me of the beauty and the wildness of that morning. But that little outing, despite what the neighbor did, that little outing remained significant for me because it it whet my appetite for being lost in a way and for having pockets of time where I was unwitnessed by other people, even that young. When we get lost... We feel the bigness of the world, the bigness of other stories other than than our story. And then, of course, usually when we get lost, we get to curl into the natural world in a significant way and in a way that produces awe and majesty. And there are, of course, different types of getting lost. There's getting lost in a way that you cannot find your coordinates. I read a parenting book once that called this pinging, like a submarine sending out signals looking for coordinates, like a toddler throwing a fit who's trying to get his parents to help him and and, uh, uh, trying to find their ground, their location on the map, so to speak. When we need help, 
And sometimes even this is good, I think, because this kind of lost makes us remember how good it is to be found and how good it can be to be home when we're tired and scared and have been away from home too long. The metaphorical home, like that that internal grounding home base, or when we're actually gone and traveling and wandering the earth, how good it is to come back to what we know. The second way of getting lost is to get so buried in something that you love or someone you love so that it transports you to another dimension. It could be a new lover or an art project or a book you're writing, something that requires or asks almost an obsession, an intoxication, so other things fall away. I have definitely had seasons in my life where this is incredibly significant and feels unavoidable. And it does actually feel like falling, like falling in love, this kind of getting lost. And then there's the kind of getting lost where we don't feel the bottom. And this is the kind that, practically speaking, we don't experience very much these days. Unless we're purposefully putting ourselves in the middle of the woods without a compass, a phone, or any coordinates, we mostly and practically know where we are. We know how to get to shore. And I think there is a part of this kind of getting lost that can be healthy, the kind that produces like heart pumping body and mind strength and ultimately gratitude to be home. Rebecca Solnit says, after all, we hardly know our own depths. Another way of getting lost can be an addiction of multiple kinds. And this is also, I think, nestled in the category of not being able to really feel the bottom underneath you. And this is certainly a place where people uh, can feel incredibly scared and lonely. And to live in the lost woods of that is one of the hardest parts, I think, about being human. If someone is swimming in addiction and they can't feel the bottom, they may forget or they may not feel safe enough to ask for help, help to get to shore. And this kind of being lost, I don't wish on anybody. Benjamin was lost in a way that broke my heart. The time of his life towards the end, when he was the most lost in the dark, he rarely left home. I still, every week, do this podcast for him. What he wrestled with in the deep dark is what keeps me on the hunt for all the lighthouses that I can find. There is an exhilaration and a wonder that the internet has taken away. We know the answers now. (laughs) We are not suspended in places where we just wonder anymore. Instead, we just look it up. We are more certain of things. I heard this very funny comedian, I don't remember who it was, um, one time do a bit about this. He said, you know, We don't just wonder about people anymore. Like, where did Tom Petty grow up? 
we would just leave it there. We would just wonder about it. He said, now we know that Tom Petty grew up in Gainesville, Florida. There you go. No mystery, no magic, no imagination in those kind of wonderings. The savage and wild world is so many steps away from our usual haunts, the places that we usually hang out. We have to create adventure, most of us. We have to try and get lost in the ways that are good and in the ways that brighten the heart. Getting lost in a book as a child was one of my first real freedoms besides the the nightgown morning walk. It was the first time that I realized I could go anywhere in my mind. And from then on, I lived in books. And I still do when I can. But also, I just love getting lost in the sacredness of the ordinary day now. The simplest things. Yesterday, I watched the movie Into the Wild. And this is probably the third or the fourth time that I've seen it. And each time it lands a little differently. If you haven't seen it, it's also a book, by the way. This is a little bit of a spoiler alert. I'm going to talk about the ending. It's a true story. And it's the journey of a young man who craves leaving behind all of his worldly possessions. And he, he's go, he goes north to Alaska to be in the wild and to live completely off the land by himself. And so the movie winds us through two years of his travels and then ends up in his final destination in Alaska, where he spends a winter and a spring completely alone in the wild And he ultimately dies, tragically, of starvation, primarily because he accidentally eats poisonous berries that he thought were edible. His name was Christopher McCandless, and his whole thing is that we really don't need relationships or other people when we have the majesty of nature and her gifts, nature's gifts. But what he discovers ultimately at the very end of his life and the last words that he wrote down before he died was happiness is only real when shared. And my first run with this young man's story was when I was in my 20s and I really got it. I I had that part of me that wanted to do what he had done, to run wild and to leave no trace. And I was ravenous to feel free, to feel unwitnessed, and to create a life that was only mine. And then when I looked at his story again in my 30s, I was, I was lost in a different kind of wild of my own. My brother, my best friend, Benjamin, had just died. And I felt really angry for this young man's family, um, particularly for his little sister. And I felt like his journey was selfish and unfair and unnecessary. And it made me almost physically sick to, to endure that story. And really recently I had this craving to watch the movie again and to kind of experience this young man's story again. It seems like 
every few years or so, I like I want to get my hands on it. And so I'm watching this movie with Matt, my husband, and and I'm kind of revisiting all that it is and all that it means. And now I'm in my 40s, and there is this mixture of of how I felt when I first knew the story in my 20s, and then again in my 30s. There's this mixture of the two in my 40s, and it's it's a gray area for me now. And I understand the complexities now, the nuances, which is a gift, I believe, that comes with age. I think there's a way to get lost sometimes for a while artistically and actually that your family and your parameters can withstand. I think it is good for partnership when the reins are loose and when you live unwitnessed sometimes, walking around on your own. I think it's good for partnerships to see this kind of autonomy and ease of dependence, and it brings fresh blood with very little to lose. I think our children need to see us doing this too because I think it teaches them that their life also is their own. I think we can have both, the wild and the getting lost, as well as the people that we love. If you've never seen the movie The Man on the Moon, I think you should. It's one of my absolute favorites, and I'm a really big Andy Kaufman fan. I might have mentioned that before. Jim Carrey, who the actor who plays Andy Kaufman, got so lost in his role as Andy that it took him a very long time to transition and to come down from it. Andy Kaufman was absolutely intoxicating as a human. He was so bright and complex and funny and multidimensional. And in a kind of Russian nesting doll way, Andy Kaufman also pretty regularly got very lost in his role as Tony Clifton, which is also an alter ego that he had created. But the magic that Jim Carrey articulates through that role is remarkable. And from what I've read, he still carries part of Andy with him as a permanent kind of part of his personality. It's a demonstration of getting lost artistically in an absolutely brilliant and compelling way to such an extent that there's pretty deep sacrifice. And it's almost like he became Andy and he had to in order to play the role in the way that he did. And so, um, just, just really, really remarkable. When we do get lost, mostly, there is something that we collect. We come back different. We come back changed. Hopefully, with a renewed sense of what is possible. And there is sometimes a price with that when we get lost. When we truly become untethered, we do not get to attend to the regular things in quite the same way. Because we're, we're somewhere like right out on the edge of things. When we get lost, we let go of the ways that we have become dull and routine and structured. And what happens is we become suspended. 
and our bodies get lighter and our brains get less full of the noise and the stress and the dark patterns that kind of keep us heavy. And when we get lost, that suspension allows for something new, potentially scary, remarkable, and gorgeous to enter. And really, 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 for a chunk of time, I do believe that we have to untether ourselves from electronics to find the woods, to find the suspension and the wondering. That kind of nourishment is the opposite of checking your notifications and touching base and being able to be touched base with. There is this really thick forest land, very dense trees and evergreens in the deep south. Even like when you're driving down the highway, it's like right off the highway. It's very thick and dense. And on my trips from Mobile to Montgomery, back and forth, when I was in college at the University of South Alabama for a couple of years, almost every time I would drive by these pockets of dense woods, I would think about stopping along the edge of the highway and walking into these trees for a while and getting lost. And I never did it. And I really regret that. Even just for lunch, for a few minutes to smell the the fresh trees and to feel my brain clear. I do believe that we can create space to get lost for pockets of time, even in a responsible life where other people are depending on us. I believe with, with clear communication and support, we can still build lives that have that kind of soaring. I also believe that our stories that come from this kind of getting lost are the ones that save us. They are the ones that become part of our hero's journey and the things that we keep for all of our life. These are the stories that we'll think about on our deathbeds, about when we pulled over on the side of the road and we walked into the woods for a while. And also, I believe that if we don't get lost, then we can't really be found, or rather, we can't remember what it feels like to come back home if we never learn to really wander And I'll leave you with Thoreau, of course, who was the king and the literary advocate for getting lost. He says, not till we are lost, in other words, not till we have lost the world, do we begin to find ourselves and realize where we are and the infinite extent of our relations. Thank you so much for listening. The things that will help podcast, just the process of writing and reading and researching and compiling the topics week to week has become such a process um, of light and a gift for me to do. It's allowed me to feel purposeful this year um, when I completely lost my teaching career in yoga when the world shut down. So... um, So I really appreciate 
all of you patrons who are supporting me and all of you listeners who keep writing me and telling me your, your stories about these stories. Um, it's, it's really been a sweet thing for me. So thank you. If you would like to become a patron, and there's no pressure to do so, this podcast will always be free. But if you'd like to support the production of this podcast, the minimum ask is only $5 a month. And you can find out more information on the show notes. And thanks again. I appreciate you. <laughs>